This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders, Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rutgers Rant, our Picks Pod edition. We're going to pick the Iowa Rutgers game, of course. But first, we got a lot of other stuff to talk about late in the week here. We've got a basketball game. I'm sure many Rutgers fans want to talk about the basketball game. We're going to talk about that. We've got the sign-stealing scandal in Michigan continues to bring shrapnel our way here in New Jersey. We've got to talk about that. Let's talk hoops, though, because that was live action. Rutgers-Princeton, a 68-61 loss in Trenton, which, as venues go for college basketball, Brian, I wouldn't put that up there with Cameron Indoor Stadium. Perhaps not going to go on the list with the greatest places to see a college basketball game. I'm sure you might, you might agree with me on that one. I would agree. Um, They placed us on the moon, like about as far as you possibly could to watch the game. The worst seating I've had since I watched St. Peter's win in the sweet 16 at Wells Fargo. They put us literally, I think on the ceiling for that game, but you see everything and you see nothing. And look to get our press box complaints out of the way. They didn't feed us. And then uh, our colleague from the Bergen Record, Chris Eisman, had to go into the concourse and he discovered what many fans had discovered at that point. He finds a place that is selling hot dogs without the bun. And to tell Eisman's story for him, he asks the lady working the stand, hey, do you guys have buns? And it was as though she had just realized that you can combine a hot dog and buns at the same time. And she ran over to get buns that were probably 200 years old back from the game where LeBron played there 20 years ago, probably the same night those buns were brought in. That was a good news, bad news story though for Eisman. Cause he did get the hot dog at least like I, we went out looking for food at first and I went out, I stopped at like some crappy chicky pea. I don't know. It's got chicken fingers, which, you know, I was happy to have some sustenance, but he kept on going to his credit. He kept on walking around that, that concourse and, and found some, found a hot dog. Pat, you've covered games at this place, right? I mean, I can't tell. You You must be down there for high school stuff. Yes. Uh, the state team wrestling championships were there okay. a couple of years, and it was 
equally is impossible to think of think of wrestling um, a sport with four mats going at the same time to figure out who was wrestling on the mats without an announcer oh from my god where you guys were sitting it was just yeah. a com- complete disaster so the njsa fixed that luckily but yeah I've, i have been there multiple times and yeah. it is uh to quote springsteen a death trap a suicide rap was the wi-fi as bad for you back in the wrestling days oh, as it was for us it might have been when you still had to uh, call for a phone line. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. AOL. Hook up <laughs> your Mindspring account to get on the Wi-Fi. It was I mean, traffic outside was brutal. I heard from fans like one guy DM me and like because I was like there was no one here. And he's like, well, you know, you should have seen the, how it took how long it takes to get in. And I, I messaged back to him like, oh, that sounds terrible. He's like, no, 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 it's still it's still terrible. I'm still out here. It's like, oh my god. Um, I don't know. I just don't understand. I just whatever. And I get it. There's like clamoring to have Rutgers Princeton from from neutral sources. But nobody in Princeton went to this. Like no one, no one from Princeton cared about this. Like all the talk about, oh, Rutgers doesn't dodging Princeton, not playing Princeton. Well, there's 100 people in orange at this game. Like so. And they went to the Sweet 16 last year and had 5000 people in Louisville, Kentucky for that. So clearly they will travel if they care. They did not care. So essentially all they did, all this game did was take 4,000 people from Rutgers and force them, instead of having their comfortable routine of going to games at the rack, force them 30 miles down the turnpike. It was just, I, I don't know, it was a complete waste. I agree. This game should be played every year. It should be played home and home in perpetuity, just like the Seton Hall rivalry at the rack, at Jadwin, on a week end, not a week night, not a Monday in November, the day after, you know, the daylight savings and everyone's adjusting to that and people have work. And like you said, the traffic situation is an absolute catastrophe. Luckily you and I avoided it by getting there a bit early. I know a lot of people can't do that because they have jobs, understandably. And I also avoided the food issue because I got to go to Papa's, try the mustard pie beforehand. Unbelievable stuff. Would recommend that. That was a Pat Lanny special. Let me know that it was open during the press conference with Shano earlier in the day. So thank you, Pat. Um, But yes, I just think Every review from every fan that's gone pretty much has said that they will never, ever step foot in that arena ever again. Even if it was for the birth of their child for some reason, they would never go back to Cure Insurance Arena. And I think from my standpoint, I wouldn't like to avoid covering a game there. And I think this game would be much better if it was at Jadwin on a Saturday night in mid-November not to open the season. I agree with that totally. But I will just say this, like the idea that 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 Rutgers has to do this for the for the good of college, for good of New Jersey college basketball is just nonsense. Like right, Rutgers has to do what's good for Rutgers. Period. Like no one in Tennessee is like, well, Tennessee's got to play uh, Tennessee Tech or for the good of Tennessee basketball. That, you know, Carolina's got to play NC Greensboro for the good of North Carolina basketball. That doesn't exist. If it's good for Rutgers, if they can get it on their terms, then play Princeton. Right. Otherwise, then scrap it. Like, I'm just I just don't think they owe it to New Jersey college basketball. That that narrative to me, like the idea they're going to turn this into a, an event someplace with a triple header where one well, game one is FDU Ryder and game two is Mammoth Temple or something like nobody cares about that. I'm sorry. Like, there's no there is no appetite for that whatsoever. Like there were 5,000 Rutgers fans who wanted to see Rutgers and would have gone anywhere they could drive to to see Rutgers. And they were forced to go to Trenton for uh, anyway. Here's what I will say about this. I personally don't care about the rivalry aspect of this. Like, I wasn't an alum from the 1970s where this was their seat in hall. I think this game should be played because this is a team with a pulse. This is a team that's beaten Rutgers three times out of the last four times they've played. This isn't Boston University or Bryant or some of the – every team plays tomato cans. I'm not saying – but 
my point is that I like to see Rutgers be challenged early in the season. That was a great game to watch, I thought. And I know there's this perception that Rutgers has been ducking Princeton, not to argue about the validity of that. But if you'd stop playing Princeton after losing to them, the one time you've played them in a decade, you are completely ducking them. That narrative will get even stronger. And I think that's totally fair. I think Mitch Henderson has made it very clear he will play this game at the rack, at Jadwin, on the moon. He'll play it anywhere. So I think Rutgers should play this game just for the sake of, if you're the best team in New Jersey, which I think Rutgers has established itself as the premier college basketball program in New Jersey, then you shouldn't be afraid to play Princeton. Certainly did not look like the best team in New Jersey on on Monday. Devil's advocate here. They did not. I mean, let's talk about the game for a minute. What I didn't like, it was just, it just didn't seem like Rutgers had the toughness or the intensity or the want that Princeton did. And early in the game, when, you know, I think five, I think we wrote down five of the first seven shots, Brian, that they, that Princeton got a rebound, an offensive rebound. Again, it's it's a size six six kid going up go for Princeton, who's a tough tough player. I get it, Caden Pierce, but going up against you know a front line with with Cliff Amore and with with size and across the board getting these rebounds, it was just kind of like, I mean, do you guys realize the see this isn't a scrimmage? Do you realize the season just started? Like there was a feeling there when watching this. Like, all right, well, what did you do all? What did you do all fall to get ready for this? Yeah, so it was, I believe, four of their first five missed shots Princeton got a rebound on, or five of their first six shots, and they scored on four of their first five possessions. The point being that Princeton completely out-hustled, out-played, out-coached, out-everything Rutgers, not just in the beginning. That set the tone, but I would say the entire game. I think it's very clear that, yes, Princeton has more continuity. They've had this nucleus. They lost Tosan, obviously, but a lot of these guys came back. That is fair. They lost their best guard, too, isn't playing for Northwestern. So they, they've lost some people. I mean, this is not the same team that ended the season last year. Sure. I just think they're clearly more talented. I mean, aside from Cliff O'Mori, I think there's three guys on Princeton that probably start for Rutgers, right? I you think. really? Hey, I think, a, you, don't, you don't think so? Um, I mean, at least certainly at least one or two. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, the, the backcourt, Rutgers backcourt had a brutal day. Just they could not finish layups. They could not shoot. They could every worry I had about this team that they couldn't shoot from the outside, that they were going to struggle to finish inside like they did last year, that they were going to have trouble creating any offense in the half court. It's all very clearly there. And again, the first game of the season, a non-tomato can opponent who knows how to play defense, a unique offensive. I know Steve Peichel talked about they changed up their screen coverages from last year and all that stuff. Fine, fair enough. But they they had a brutal time putting the ball in the hoop. Whenever they did climb back in the game and the crowd was into it, they couldn't get a basket and they don't defend as well as they did last year, at least not yep. yet. Yeah, so that's those I are think, three strikes right there. Yeah. 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 So almost nothing went well for Rutgers. So, so I think you got to hope that you figure some things out in these next couple tomato can games, Boston, U, Bryant, Georgetown is a beatable high major team and hope that this is the worst game they play in the non-conference and not the rule. Because if this is the way they're going to play all season, I'm not even sure the NIT is going to be where they're going to end up. Pat, it won't be the way they play all season, right? I mean, I think we can. I think we can it agree on that. Seems like uh, we we questioned what is the rotation going to look like on our last podcast, and it seemed like Rutgers didn't even have that figured yeah, out. It's a great point. And that was that was like mind blowing to me. It's like Cliff Amori was on the bench for long periods of time. Like, what what was going on? They were subbing the guards like ad nauseum. Yeah, and I, I just felt like. To, to to 
parlay what you said, Steve. It felt like Rutgers was playing a scrimmage. Princeton was preparing for an NCAA tournament run. Yeah, yeah. Like Rutgers had no concept of what was going on in right. this game. And, and yeah, yeah, totally. That's, that's completely, utterly on the coach. It's on Steve Peichel. Yeah, and we and we asked him after the game. It's funny. Like we asked him about guard play, and he's like, "Well, like Joe Michael D." Davis was in there for defense. Or you look at the box score, he took 10 shots. He took all the shots down the stretch. And then you're looking at, so you're, you're thinking, all right, how is the team going to replace Mulcahy and Spencer? And I get it. We don't want to, they're not coming back. It, it's just, it's beating a dead horse. But Cam Spencer takes those shots late in the game. And instead, you've got a freshman who's playing in his first college game, jacking up shots down the stretch with a chance to get the team back in the game and the other part is like everyone talks about Mulcahy slowing this team down and oh they're gonna be faster without Mulcahy well okay his opener his opening line in Washington right 34 minutes nine points eight rebounds seven assists like the two things you forget that is that that he did well as a six eight guard was getting there and rebound like you think you think that would have been that start of that game would have been different if Paul Mulcahy's out there, you know, get they're not going to give up the offensive rebounds the way they did. This team didn't rebound together. It didn't distribute the ball well together. It wasn't sound offensively. Missed shots at the rim. A lot to digest there. Even when they pushed the pace, they weren't particularly controlled in transition. I think they outscored Princeton in transition, but that's because Princeton doesn't want to play in transition. They play in the half court. Um, so I just, they, they needed more from their guards, obviously, as you said. They needed more from Andre Hyatt, who had a tough night. They needed more from Derek Simpson. They needed more from Gavin Griffiths, who is clearly struggling on the defensive end. And I think that is something that people didn't take into account I think his offense is there. I think he certainly can help them offensively. But if he keeps getting beat on backdoor cuts and can't really, I mean, I looked at, I watched back some of the film. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched some of it. And at times it looks like he really doesn't know what he is supposed to be doing, which is understandable for a freshman. But the issue is that he is the highest ranked kid they've ever signed. And there are a lot of expectations on him to replace a lot of what they lost. I think he, I I don't want to be armchair psychologist here. But I would empathize with him if he's having a difficult time mentally getting through that. It's a hard place to be in. Uh, he obviously struggled in his first game. He struggled in stretches against St. John's. Um, and I think he needs to kind of help get help easing in because, right. unfortunately, he's a big part of any hope of their success. So right. they're going to need him to be able to, to defend well enough to stay on the floor to, able, to be able to help them on the offensive end. Right. Now we need they need to go 5-0 and here the next a couple of weeks, get back to five and one before they play Illinois, I believe. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the stretch. That's it. That's, that's this is, uh, they can't afford to have another one of these. I think that's, that's, that's the key, especially against the schedule coming up. So I would say they need to, they could afford one more non-conference loss against a good team, Seton Hall, Mississippi State, Wake Forest. Right. If you lose two of those, you get three non-conference losses. And especially if you lose to any of the other teams on the non-conference slate, and you're really playing from behind when the Big Ten schedule starts back up. All right, let's dive into the sign stealing thing, which is something that Craig Shannon did not want to talk about. And this is this is a, a classic, classic diversionary tactic here. When when someone asks, when you ask someone a question and you don't want to answer it, and you get angry at the question, that's sort of what happened. I knew you guys. I need not. I wasn't there. I but I did certainly see the quotes and I know that you two were the ones asking the questions about this. Uh, and he was very angry playing Iowa. This is the kind of, uh, I'm checked off that we have to address this. It's like, Hey coach, you know, not our fault. This is a national story that has exploded in many directions and, and Rutgers has taken shrapnel. And, and you know, I dare say, understandably so, right? If you're Michigan and you're trying to defend, you're trying to avoid your head coach getting suspended or something beyond that, 
for a sign stealing scandal, what are you going to do? What is your answer? Your answer is not, we didn't do it. That's clearly not the case. Your answer is, well, look, it was done against us. Everyone's doing it. That's like, that's your defense. Uh, if you're trying to appeal to the Big Ten, and that's the that's what they threw out there with, with Rutgers, apparently. And again, Greg Shandle did not deny it with Rutgers sharing signals uh, to Purdue with Purdue before the Big Ten championship game. The best way to sum it up, and I saw this on Twitter, I won't take credit for it, is that what Michigan is being accused of doing is going in and stealing the test on the math test from the teacher's desk. That's what Michigan did. What Rutgers did was talk to their buddy in first period math and say, okay, what were the hard questions? Here's how we can negate the situation. So it's like, all right, we we colluded, but didn't bust down the door openly violate the rules so it's really a question of did Rutgers actually violate the rules and and what what could be coming from this it, it's not going to go away and it's going to keep coming and I I think Michigan is in the right uh to point the finger uh we got to wait for the facts to come out and and that's really all we can do Brian did Rutgers break a rule do you think I don't think Rutgers is in any danger of punishment Right. I think what one can argue is that they didn't technically break any NCAA rules, from my understanding. They maybe perhaps violated the unbelievably vague sportsmanship yeah. policy, whatever. I mean, people do unsportsmanlike things every day in college football. So every program, this was been Dan Wetzel's point the whole time in the saga is like, if you punish Michigan for this, then what about every other thing that happens like this? Because it seems it's been pretty widely talked about that it's not uncommon for buddies on one staff to talk to their coaching buddies on another staff and say, Hey, just so you know, when we played Michigan and they threw up an M that means they're running inside zone to the right and stuff like that. So what Michigan did is blatantly violate an agent, like a 30 year old rule that to to save money where they traveled to games, filmed and dissected film. But my argument is that Michigan had to do some work they got the, the the raw footage. They had to break down the signs and do a lot of work to figure out that all that stuff out. When Purdue gets the signs from Rutgers and from Ohio State, Brian Day, by the way, he denied that Ohio State did that. Greg Schiano, we asked him, yeah. is it true? And Pat asked him, has the Big Ten contacted you? And he never once said, no, it's not true. And no, the Big Ten did not contact us, just for the record. But anyway, when Purdue was getting signals from Rutgers and from Ohio State, they're doing none of the work. The work is done for them. They literally save 10 to 12 hours of dissecting work, which I would argue is even more pejorative, right? Like Michigan is wasting resources to figure out other team signals. Purdue is just getting gifted the answers. So, but the, but, the rule, but the rule is the problem was the in-person scouting. I understand. And look, I'm not debating the rules. Maybe the rules are stupid. Have we thought about that? Maybe the rules are really dumb. Well, the whole thing is stupid because if you had headset, it's 2023. You had head like if you just put that you could avoid the signals in the first place. If you could just use the technology that's readily available and no longer to the point that a program can't afford it, you know, and it's no longer to the point where you might be at some game and it would go out for a quarter. I mean, it's it's we were we're here now. We've got this. That's the that's the bigger problem. That aside, though, the world that they're in. I, you know, the Michigan 10 page letter, the indefensible precedent was the word that was in there that sort of caught me. Like, if you're the Big Ten, are you setting, I mean, are you setting a precedent that you cannot? I mean, you're going down a slippery slope if you make a suspension for this, Pat. You are. You are because you're, you're ruling before the investigation is complete. That, that goes against every single judiciary type situation on, like in America. <laughs> 
right? Like you're innocent until proven guilty in America. <laughs> and the Big Ten's just going to step in and rule opens up the door for so many other backdoor appeal, or, or apparently there are, you cannot appeal this, uh, this type of, uh, I, I read that somewhere, you can't appeal this sportsmanship uh, violation. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is like, there are going to be lawsuits filed, and it's going to keep dragging on dragging on and the bureaucracy of it, which I said on our last podcast is never going to ultimately result in any punishment for anybody it's just going to get keep getting kicked down the road and kicked down the road and that's just what happens with the ncaa yeah what i would say what i would say is that if you i understand the anger from the ad's and the coaches who got screwed by this they're making a lot of noise in all these meetings they're having a meeting every day and complaining to tony Petiti as they should it's their right and i understand if you give into the anger and you punish jim harbaugh unilaterally before the NCAA rules, before the investigation is over, every year, every time there's anything remotely that bothers these ADs and coaches, they will march into Tony Petiti's office and say, suspend all these guys for these dumb rules. And what is Tony Petiti going to say? I can't do that. And they'll say, why not? You did that to Michigan without any investigation being done. So again, this opens Pandora's box. I think it's in everyone's best interest, frankly. Let this all play out. Let Michigan win the Big Ten. Let them play in the playoff. Let them lose to Georgia or whoever. And then punish Jim Harbaugh in January. It feels a little like, you know, it strikes me a little like the flake gate with the Patriots. Like we know, they know they did something wrong and we know that there should be a punishment, but there's also, there's also the underlying current of everybody hates them too. I think that's part of it, that that's riding up like the Patriots of the big 10 here in Ann Arbor. All right. So it's fascinating. We'll follow it, continue to follow it and see what happens in the next couple of weeks. If there's a punishment coming and if it uh, continues to involve the Scarlet Knights somehow. Experience the Heldridge Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldrich is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldrich Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldrich lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Knights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldrich.com. Uh, all right. Can we talk about Iowa? We got the football game this week. Guys, we got a game this week. We can't, we got the big game this week. Heading out to Iowa City. The Hawkeyes are one of the most fascinating teams in college football, not because they're fascinating to watch, but because uh, they do not score. And it's kind of it's it's it's, it's really it's become like a national story uh, just with, when the tracker was on for how many points they're going to score to keep Brian Ferenc's job. Brian Ferenc is not going to return as offensive coordinator next year, but he is still currently offensive coordinator, which is fascinating. It's just weird situation. I mean, if you don't want if you don't think the guy can call plays next year. Why do you have him call and plays for a team that's seven and two with a chance to, I just, the whole thing's strange. It's been strange from the start when they put that clause into his contract that he had to score 325 points or whatever to keep his job for next year. So I, it's, it's, it was, it's been a fascinating a ride for the Brian Ferenc story that I'm, I'm very sad it's going to go away because I enjoyed <laughs> every week. The Yoda Lay man climbing up the mountain and womp, womp, not getting there. But 
you're right. What what is the point? It's just uh, this is what happens when uh, nepotism gets in the way of success, and there's no way around it except for the athletic administration to step in. So, um, a very inter- interesting situation. I'm so curious to see this. We haven't even talked about the over under of 28 and a half. Yeah. Uh, the lowest in the history of college football. So, yeah, it's uh, do we do you get a sense is is Iowa defense really good or have they just played a crummy schedule? Like I look at that schedule this morning. It's 31 nothing against Penn State. All right. They beat Wisconsin, but that was sort of a, a damaged Wisconsin team at that point. I mean, it, it they, they barely beat they barely beat Northwestern. They barely beat Minnesota. Right. I mean, this is not. You know, if Rutgers has that same schedule, Minnesota. they lost to Minnesota, right? I'm sorry, they lost to Minnesota. I mean, if Rutgers has that same schedule, are they seven and two? I mean, honestly, I, it's, uh, what's your sense? I, I get the sense that this is the ultimate if Rutgers was in the West division yeah. situation. And if Rutgers was in the West, that, that's why this game is so important. Like, you're going to see if you were ranking the, if you were doing the Big Ten power rankings, Rutgers could make a huge jump and realistically be the fourth best team in this conference if they can beat Iowa. And prove that, like, when when you see the Big Ten championship game, Ohio State, Michigan versus whomever coming out of the West, probably Iowa, it, it very well could have been Rutgers in that game if they were in the West. So I think this is a huge opportunity for Rutgers to get a signature win and and to show just how ridiculous this whole conference setup is. And, and thankfully, it's going away. All right. So what has to happen for that to happen, Brian? I mean, obviously the, the Rutgers ran the ball against Ohio State. That's going to be the recipe here. Can't make mistakes. We've said that. Oh, we've said that uh, many times. Are they going to be able to run the ball against Iowa's defense? Uh, not many teams have. I think Iowa's defense is legit. It's the only reason they're winning games. They're winning. That's how good they are. They're Herculean effort every weekend to carry that awful offense on their back. Like it's it's. Of course they're good. I mean, I would not be 7-2 if they didn't have a good defense. Uh, can Rutgers run the ball against them? They ran the ball against Ohio State. That gives me a lot of encouragement that they can do it against Iowa. Um, I'll have to see it before I know for sure. I think the biggest thing Rutgers has to do is not turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. In a game where, again, the over-under is 28.5. Iowa has played games that have finished in the 20s for something like three straight weeks. The margin of error is going to be so razor thin. If you throw a pick six as Gavin Wimsett has done in all three of their losses, it's over. It's over. Because Iowa only needs to score 14 points to win this game, right? Like, I, you can't, so you can't turn the ball over. You can't uh, You can't let that offense score. You cannot let that offense score a touchdown. It, that, that, to me, is inexcusable. Frankly, if they score a touchdown, the game should be over automatically. Golden, whatever the overtime rules are. You score a touchdown with Kirk Ferentz's offense or Brian Ferentz's offense, you win the game. Congratulations. You get a trophy. Um, and I would normally say get a special team score. Iowa's special teams are elite, like really, really good. What maybe the best punter in the country, maybe the best kicker in the country, maybe the best punt returner in the country. Um, just really, really good. They have to avoid giving up a special teams touchdown because Cooper to Cooper to however you say his name, almost won the game for them against Minnesota has won a game for them before the season with a return touchdown. So you have to. Not give scores away. Score at least once somehow, and pray, pray that nothing crazy happens, um, because this game is going to end, you know, fourteen ten something like that. 
All right. So we've got last week it was a ninth was a 19 and a half point spread. And so last week we told ourselves early in the year, never again are we gonna pick a flat number. We gotta right. pick halves because yes, they're we gonna did. they're gonna push. And in an arbor they pushed. We'll never do it again. Obviously, yeah. our genius made us do 19 for Ohio State. And what happened? Ohio State won by 19. So we have two pushes. No, so, we did not do 19. We did a half, didn't we? We did 19. No, did we really? We did 19. And if we're going to do a half, I want 18 and a half. I don't want 19 and a half because it was not 19 and a half in any book. It was 18 and a half or 19. I can't believe we did 19. I I, I need I need comf- I need confirmation of this. Is this true, Pat? Are you are you telling me we did 19? We have I another push. It's in print, unfortunately. Oh my god. I can't believe that. That's amazing. I don't remember yeah. that at all. I'm going to hope there's some hope there's some record of this on the internet. I'm going to have to look it up. All right. Well, so so you're listen, back to the, listen back to the old podcast. I haven't done the homework. I'm 99% sure it was 19. Well, whose fault was this then? Yours. Was this, it was not my fault. Was it really? You said 19, and then it was my fault for not being like, hey, Steve, let's not do this again. I thought I said 19 and a half, and that's what I said. Okay, let's let's go on the op- let's go on the assumption that it was 19 and a half. Because if I said 19 and a half, I'm wrong now. You're giving me an opportunity. No, that's not true. I, I If you said 19 and a half, then I lose. So, so I want 19. Didn't I lose too? I picked, I don't know. I this picked is terrible radio. cover. This is terrible radio. Let's do this off pod. <laughs> I don't know if it's terrible. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, I picked 31 to 7. I picked them to easily cover. Yeah, so if it was 19, you would you would win. 19 and a half, you would win. No, but I picked Ohio State minus 19 and a half. Oh, right, 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 right. Right. Good point. I also picked Ohio State to cover, I think. Yes. <laughs> you both want it 19 and a half. I want it 19 or 18 and a half. Rutgers, <laughs> Ohio State picks. That's too funny. I'm pretty sure on in print I said 19. And I think on the pod you said 19 as well. All right. Okay. Well, let's go with that then. All right. All right. So this week we're not going to do that. This week we have Iowa minus one and a half. Minus one and a half. Now. All right. One and a half. It's one and a half now. Okay. Yes. So I'm still, this, is, this means I'm still in first place. Is that what you're here to tell me? Correct. Yes. Oh, okay. That all works out then in the end. These pushes are fine. Ties are good as a win for me. All right. So, so I go first. Is that what that also means? Correct. All right. Uh, I'm bullish on the Scarlet Knights in this game. I really do think they're the better football team. I, I get it that uh, it's on the road, which gives me a little bit of pause in picking them. And Iowa's defense is excellent. I'm worried, of course, all the things. Gavin Wimson can't make mistakes. I get all that. Uh, I just think that I saw something from this team that I hadn't seen in a long time against Ohio State in the trenches. I get it uh, that it's it's a different game, and they might not be able to run the ball as well against Iowa, but I, I do think they're going to sustain a couple drives. I think the defense is good enough to shut out a really bad Iowa defense. And I'm going to take the over. Woo! Wow. Going Rutgers 17, Iowa 13. How's that sound? I was very tempted to pick the Scarlet Knights as well. I think this is the first game that I've personally been conflicted. We are nine and zero straight up. Uh, I think all of us, or no, I'm, Pat well, I'm not. I'm not nine and zero. You kidding me? Pat, Pat and I are nine and zero straight up. You are obviously not. I. This is the first one I've been really, really conflicted, and I really want to pick Rutgers, but a lot of things are keeping me away. The road crowd, uh, the fact Rutgers has never beaten a team with a winning record in the Big Ten. The fact that I just cannot get myself to trust Gavin Wimsett to not throw an interception. Like I, I just I need to see that before I believe it. The fact that 
I'm not sure Rutgers can run the ball against Iowa. All these factors, like, they're giving me pause. I trust Jay Patel to win a field goal game because this is going to be a field goal game. I would not be shocked at all if we're in the fourth quarter, Rutgers is down three points, and Jay Patel has to hit a game-tying field goal, and he nails it. I just don't think Rutgers has quite enough to overcome the behemoth that is this Iowa defense. So I will go Iowa 13, Rutgers 9. Wow. Okay. uh, That's a barn burner. All right. Finish it up, Lenny. Okay. As you all know, on our last podcast, I proclaimed that the Scarlet Knights would come out victorious, and I'm not going to change my mind. I've thought since – since Cade McNamara got hurt for Iowa, this team has completely fallen off offensively. And that's the difference to me. Rutgers has a better offense than Iowa by a, by a long, by a mile, by a mile. And I think that what Rutgers proved against Ohio State is, is what's going to change this game. Like Rutgers is going to be able to bully Iowa. And, and that's a bold statement, but I think it's true. And Kyle Manungai deserves another shout out and and just praise for what he's done and i think this is going to be just another example of this guy running for five yards after contact you know 50 yards in the fourth quarter and it's going to be one of those games where Rutgers just does enough to win on both sides of the ball and i almost see this playing out like the indiana game where Rutgers ends up running the ball 60 times to 10 passes to me that's going to be the game plan and the the path to victory so I'm going to go Rutgers 17, Iowa 10, and the under. It's not the under. Is it the under? Yes, it is the under. Okay, 17-10. By one, by one and a half. By one. Nice. All right. We should keep track of the over-under, too. It'd be fun next year. All right. I couldn't go back and do uh, retroactively. I'd like a bonus pick for both of you guys. Kyle Manungai is 97 yards away from becoming the first 1,000-yard rusher at Rutgers since Jawan Jameson in 2012. Wow. Will Kyle Manungai hit 97 yards or over to break that barrier against Iowa? I'm going to go no. I'm going yes. Wow, okay. My, my, my just spiel for Almanungai um, love. It feels like a 28 carries, 73-yard kind of day to me. Not, I don't think he's going to. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, gonna that's tough. Take a long one. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I agree with you guys in that this is going to be a very run-heavy game. I think you've got to run the ball a lot. And again, to try to avoid turnovers and mistakes through the air, I'll say yes. I think Kyle nope. Nungai has proven. I was skeptical again because he had struggled against good defenses before Virginia Tech and Michigan and Wisconsin, but he did it against Ohio State. And I think, I don't expect another fumble Ruski, but I think that he'll have one big play. I think he'll do enough to, I'll say, 105. 28 nice. carries, 105. There you go. All right. We'll see. We'll see if that happens. All right. Boomer Zoomer, alumni game. You ready? Let's knock this out. You were good last week. You came roaring back. I don't know what to expect this week. I think this is an easy week. I'm going to put I'm going to put the over under on six and a half, Pat. That's perfect. I know Brian knows his agricultural history, so he's going to be have great success in this one. He's going to go over. All right. But just to be clear, Pat, before you, I'm not giving him. I'm not giving him Ashton Kutcher. I'm not giving him that. Sure. Fine. He didn't graduate. But did you know this? This is interesting. Did you know Ashton Kutcher went to Iowa? Uh, and was good. He was majoring in biomedical engineering. How about that, huh? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. You're, you're, nodding, you're nodding. You know who that is, right? Ashton Kutcher. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. All right. He was in that 70s show. Yeah. Okay. All right, good. He was all in right, that right. movie with uh, Mila Kunis, who's, uh, is it No Strings Attached or Friends with Benefits? One there of those two. Yep. Cheesy mm-hmm. rom coms. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, you don't get any credit for that. Medical engineering to male modeling. There you go. Common pipeline. And by the way, yeah. my freshman year, I lived on Cook campus at Rutgers next to where they have the horses and all the animals. So my, every day I walked back to my dorm, I smelled the fresh scent of manure. So I'm mm. all about the agricultural. I'm Lovely. all Iowa right here. So. All right. For one point, can you tell me who Tom Arnold is? Oh, my God. This name sounds so he, – he's an oh, actor, right? He's an actor, right? Yes. I, I, we do I, a little bit more. You're just so gonna have, you're gonna have to give me a little bit. I, I I know I know the name. I know the name. Give me uh something. Give me something. Okay, I'll give you a hint. He's married. He was married to someone particularly famous in a show or IRL. In, in IRL. I got nothing. I got nothing. I got. I got nothing. Pat, what are we gonna do? We're not gonna get him just an actor. I, right? I didn't know this one either. <laughs> yeah, Tom Arnold is. He's married to Roseanne, the actor. Oh, he was. He's the, the wait. Was he yes. married to Roseanne in the show? No, he wasn't. That was John Goodman. He's married to him in real life. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He, no, okay, all right. I thought that was an easy one. <clears throat> now I'm a little worried about number two. All right, number two. It's always a ninety, like eighties, nineties actor. The two points. Yeah, switch it up a little bit. Can you tell me who Gene Wilder is? That's a rock star, no? No? No. It's not what? a rock star. You're thinking of Gene Simmons from Kiss, I believe. Probably. Gene Wilder, you don't really... He's an actor? Vibes. He is an actor, yes. He's just, I mean... One of the uh, most iconic roles of all time. I, 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 don't even, I, I can't even be. I don't even know where to begin with Gene Wilder, right? I mean, yeah. am I wrong? He's like uh, comedic, that, guy, like comedic actor, blazing, sal- blazing saddles, uh, young Frankenstein. Is he not Willy Wonka? He is Willy Wonka. <laughs> He's Willy Wonka. Wow. Okay. Hmm. We got, I never would have guessed Iowa alum. That's I know, right? That, I thought, yeah, I was good. I and I was going to put it at number one. But then, like, oh, he's a little older. I'll put Tom Arnold number one. That's a little easier. I should have given him Ashton Kushner, clearly, if he had just finished his biomedical engineering degree. All right, for three points. <laughs> Not, no longer optimistic here, but for three points. Uh, can you tell me who Tennessee Williams is? The playwright? That okay. Wrote, um, yes. what, did he, what did he write? What did he write? That uh, streetcar named Desire, was it? He did, didn't he? Ooh. Yes, absolutely. Cat in a hot tin roof. There we go. Uh, the glass menagerie. Great job. I Great thought he job. was from Tennessee, frankly. So I'm surprised he's from Iowa. I, I didn't know that either, but that's what, that's what, yeah, he is from. All right. Three points. You're back in it. You can win here. You can get the over. Number five, number four, four points. <clears throat> Alex Karras. No, I, athlete. He, he, but he's many things. He crossover, crossover person. Alex Karras. I, I'm, I mean, I have no idea. Athlete was just a shot in the dark. Is he a swimmer? No, he's he's the big football player. Does it went into acting. He was the dad in Webster. Um, all sorts of crossover roles. I mean, Hall of Famer, Iowa football offensive lineman, professional wrestler, sportscaster. No, Renaissance man. Renaissance man. Yeah, Alex Karras. Okay. All right. I thought that was I thought that one you might know because of the sports connection, but that's a tough one. I'll say it's a tough one. Right. Uh, and finally, for five points in the win, this is a tough one, but uh, you're you're a renaissance man, Brian. I think you got this. 
Tell me who David Sanborn is. You're killing me, Steve. You're killing me, man. <laughs> um, I have no idea. Want want? He's a he's a famous saxophonist, six time Grammy winner. How was I supposed to know that? <laughs> How was I, I don't like, know. You're wild there. How are you supposed to be David Sanborn? <laughs> I don't know. They're, I can't give you. You think, it's I'm Iowa. To, you think I'm listening to jazz while I'm doing my film review or something? Like, <laughs> oh, how am I supposed to know who the... All right, name, all right, name me the most famous... Not Louis Armstrong. The most famous saxophone or brass instrument player you know. Name one guy. Name one guy. There's a million guys. Name one. Name one. Give me a break. Name one. You can't name, name one. one. Name one what? Name what, what instrument would you like me to name? David Sanborn? One saxophonist. One saxophone? Wynton Win Marsalis? Does he count? Can you name him? Clarence. Yeah. I'm a Clarence Kent. What to say? I'm a Clarence Kent. Clemens, does he count? You guys are making these guys up. I'm convinced. I wish it would be great if Clarence Clemens went to Iowa, but of course he did not. All right. Well, you did not. Bad week for you. He was a college football player, though. Clarence Clemens. He was. Yes. Where do you play? I want to say like North Carolina, like a small uh, school. Yeah, small school. I think like not Division One. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, yeah. all right. Iowa alumni, tough, tough one. That was I figured. That was tough. It was tough. It was tough. No right. farmers. Disappointing. Well, yeah. Can you imagine if I gave him a famous horticulturalist? Can you imagine when Brian's head would head would explode? That was the whole point of this thing, though, right? Like, I didn't know what an astronaut was. So maybe, like, uh, yeah. did, did the guy that invented corn not go to Iowa or something? It's going to fall on the list of, like, memes that are coming for you, Brian. This, one, this was the – I almost put this one in there. Terry O'Quinn. Football player? No, he was John Locke on Lost. There's not a great list. Chuck, Chuck Grassley, if I tried that, could you could you have gotten that since you're so big on politicians now? Football player? I was. <laughs> I certainly. I can't go. I can't do Al Jarreau because you didn't know David Sanborn, another American hockey player. Yes, hockey player from yeah from Iowa. And I couldn't give you Tom Brokaw because he didn't graduate. Because you got mad at me last time with 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 graduates. So there you go. All right. You got anything for me? You gonna, you want to embarrass me now in return? You want me to go first, Pat? Than you. We have a uh, two words, one you should get and one you have no shot at getting. So what do you want first? I would like to I would like to start me start me with the easy one. Okay, go ahead, Brian. All right. This is pretty self-explanatory, I would think. Do you know what a situation ship is? A situation ship? Okay, like when you're, you know, when you we've got when you're dating someone based on where you're living or you're on the road, when you travel someplace, you're in a situation ship, right? Like you're Creative. Because she's when she's around when she's around you at certain times. Creative. I like that. I will I'll, yeah. I will give it to you just for that. It's mm -hmm. situation ship is like that weird period where you're dating someone, but you're not really dating. They're not your significant other, but okay. the only person you're seeing. But nowadays okay. in the modern mm -hmm. era, no one wants to actually ask someone else to be their girlfriend or boyfriend. So you're kind of in a situation ship with someone. You know, you're not you're okay. dating, but you're not dating. All right, that doesn't seem. Kids really use that word. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Situation ship. After shipping, after I got that wrong, I just assumed that we're shipping. You're cool. Yeah. Like you're, oh, you're in the vicinity of both of them. Yeah, so you, I'm not giving it. I'm not giving it to myself. All right, a boomer like you, Steve. <laughs> this word 
had a write up in the New York Times, and I found it on OprahWinfrey.com. Mm, okay. So you should, yeah. by all accounts, know what the word chuggy means. Chuggy? C H E U G Y. C H E U G Y. The term the term was coined by a by 23-year-old Gabby Rassen and was used among her friend group before it became wildly known. Widely, widely known. C-H-U-E-G-Y? Chuji. Put the E and the U. Chuji. Chuji. Chuji or Chuji? Chuji. 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 It's not, it's something that's not bougie. It's like it's a little step below bougie. It's Chuji. That's a really, that's a really good guess. That's a yeah. really good guess. And it's still wrong. It describes anything that's considered uncool, untrendy, or people who deliberately stick to older trends. Oh man, aka boomers like Steve Felitti. I'm definitely Chuji. I'm bougie Chugi. and Chuji. I've got both things going. I got both. I got both strikes against me. <laughs> you're, you're you're accusing me of making David Sanborn up, and I've got Chuji. <laughs> okay, oh, it's in the New York. It's in the New York Times. Well, Oprah Winfrey uses Chuji. I can see her talking up to her friends. Anything, according to the originators of the word, anything emblazoned with the word "girl boss," wooden signs with inspirational quotes, the show Friends, the Office merch, or UGG boots. Yeah. Are considered chuji or chugi, however you want to pronounce it. Chuji now, man. I wouldn't science thing. I get that. That's totally. That's that's totally chuji. I can I can see that. But friends, people still watch friends, right? I don't. I mean, that I'm past that. Office merch. We got some office merch in this house. Oh, R.I.P. What's his name? R.I.P. Matthew uh, Perry. R.I.P. Matthew Perry. I also wear Matthew Perry. I wear Ugg sandals, by the way. So I guess I am chuji. Your coffee. That's good. All right. Good job, guys. I liked it. Chuji. I'm going to use that. All right. What else we got? Anything else? We got field hockey tomorrow. We got women's soccer coming up. What's the what's the what's the breakdown here? We're gonna have will we be able to talk about either one of these sports next week other than to recap the season. Feels like field hockey's in a winnable game, uh bounce back situation. So they'll be taking on Harvard, number six versus eight in the country. You know, it's it's when you think of the NCAA field hockey tournament, it's, you can't think of it like basketball, where 64 teams get in. I think it's, what, 18 get into the field hockey tournament? Very low number, and it's it's tough to get in. So you're going to face a really good team right off the bat. So Rutgers has a, a tough draw. It should be a good game. North Looking Carolina for- field hockey is a little choosy at this point, I would say. They've been, <laughs> they've been around for years. They're not They're not current. They're the number one. Uh, they're number one team in the country. Yeah, they got because the they're a choosy, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. Twenty-three year old Aaron Matson, correct? Oh. Good stuff. Women's soccer going to make it through? They're in the tournament. They're playing Columbia, I believe. Mm-hmm. You'd think they're better than an Ivy League team, uh, but obviously, as we saw at the start of the week, not <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> We've learned that lesson this week. Yeah. So, um, and then obviously we have hoops uh, Friday and Sunday. Uh, we won't be at either game because we'll be traveling to Iowa. Uh, but they play Boston U on Friday. Should be a pretty easy win. And then they play Bryant, whose coach just got acquitted. His uh, alleged hit and run charge was dropped, dismissed. His insurance company said they would pay the damages. Uh, and he's wow. still on leave because of uh, 
undisclosed situation in Bryant. So uh, turbulent, but but they do have Doug Eater. But Doug- to say the stash, the Nutley stash is there, right? Yep. Does he still have the mustache? Oh, I, how, do you, how do you shave that? That's his whole thing. You can't shave the stash. I feel like I would have seen a story about it if he did. Right. We would have done. We would have done something on that. Absolutely. Kevin Armstrong, our Doug, our Doug Eater beat writer, would have had some take on that. To be Absolutely. And I believe they have another kid that used to play at Miami who's good. So I don't think Brian is necessarily a pushover. But you have to think when your coach is being, you know, going viral for a police officer interviewing him in his driveway and he looks erratic and he starts asking the police officer if he wants to go shoot jumpers in the backyard, you think that's a little bit of a distraction. Uh, so I would think that Rutgers will easily put Brian away. I watched that one. That was that was some bad. That was some bad uh, video there. Bigger Not distraction. Good. Brian, basketball coach, or Greg Schiano ticked off at the question about size. Could you bring it in full circle? I would say Brian, basketball coach. <laughs> so much of a distraction. You think they had like I a? I thought team? he was acquitted. So he was acquitted of the hit and run. The other things that he is allegedly accused of, and that is causing him to be suspended indefinitely are still not cleared up. You think the guys on the team were sitting around for a film session, just watching the 20 minute tape? Like, look at, look, look at coach. What is he saying? What is he doing with this? Oh, absolutely. Officer? There's no question. They watched that. Kidding me? Right away. They were gathered in the locker room and laughing their butts off about that. All right. We'll be back to recap those games on Monday. Iowa, you guys, I'm not going to have fun in Iowa fall. Iowa, Iowa falls, Iowa city. Uh, and uh, we'll see if Rutgers can come back with what would be one of the biggest victories they've had in Big Ten play. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com insider.